Hello and welcome to episode 128 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, story by story. This week, we have Nick Cajola joining us as our guest. He is a copywriter, graphic designer, producer, photographer, videographer, editor, and executive assistant, as well as a musician known for his trumpet and bass guitar work, most notably performing the trumpet notes at the beginning of every LAFC match that also provide us the breaks between our episodes. So we are really excited to welcome Nick onto the show. Joining us as our opponent correspondent this week to prepare us for all things sporting Kansas City is going to be none other than Araceli Villanueva. You know her as the social media for MLS Next Pro and a contributor to Heart of LAFC podcast. My name is Jonathan Reimer. Joining me is Christian Aparicio. Christopher Sines will be joining us a little later in the show, but Christian, good evening. Welcome. Good evening. Good evening. How are you doing? Fantastic, brother. Happy to start talking about an LAFC dub. It's the kind of trend, the kind of conversation I like to have, conversely to the last couple of years. So these are the kind of episodes I want to talk about. Well, let's go ahead and dive right into it. The Los Angeles Football Club defeat Nashville SC 2-1. We started the day with some beautiful pictures of a collaborative tailgate between the 3252 and the supporters for Nashville SC. Christian, did you get a chance to catch any of what was going on there out on the grass outside the stadium and some of the videos and photos coming out of two supporters groups for two different teams getting together and just having a good time and celebrating the world of soccer? For sure. No, I was able to see some of the images on social media. It seemed harmonious and poking fun lightly at each other, which was great. That's the kind of banter we like to see. And Elio was there for sure. I know D9, Cuervos, it was most, if not all, of the supporters groups were represented. And I also saw some of the images posted in terms of the hoo-ha with the lights. And even I saw a comment somewhere, I think someone said it, that there were some of the Nashville supporters or fans that didn't understand what was going on and partook, which is hilarious to me, and it's infectious. So obviously we always roll at least 100 deep, and I think there was a lot more than that in this one, and it's quite the trip. But, you know, it's Nash Vegas. It's the, quite the party town for the East Coast, so it makes a lot of sense why a lot of supporters want to partake in that and bring our way of celebrating football and life into Nashville. Yeah, 3252, making friends, setting trends anywhere they go. Well, the big news prior to the game, aside from the harmonious relationship between fan bases, was when that starting 11 and 18 got dropped. And lo and behold, the rumors were confirmed. None other than Italian legend Giorgio Chiellini in the starting 11 at center back for the Los Angeles Football Club. And oh, hiding there on the bench, a name you, you may have heard us talk about once or twice, Gareth Bale. What were your thoughts? when that starting 11 came out. Did did you have to change your underwear a little bit like I did? Were you as excited? I did not get as excited as you were, but definitely um, happy that this is coming to fruition sooner than a lot of us thought, at least with Gareth. Georgia, I feel like he came and hit the ground running a little sooner, despite the transfer uh, being able to go through from a paperwork perspective at the same time. But 60 minutes is kind of, and we'll talk about this, but I, I didn't expect to get as much from Giorgio. I thought maybe expected a half when that lineup came out. So um, good to have him be able to contribute so soon. And then obviously when I saw the, the team sheet with the 18 with Gareth Bale, I was already imagining a goal, you know, some sort of celebration, some sort of 
running to the corner and celebrating where the supporters were excited, excited uh, of what's to come. But this was the icebreaker in terms of being able to have them incorporate into, into the team. Kilini gave us 60 solid minutes. I think it took him a good 10 to 15 minutes to really catch up to the pace of the game. You could see him kind of struggling a little bit to find where he needed to be, where his teammates needed to be, just to kind of catch up to the pace of what was happening around him. But already we saw line-breaking passes coming out of the back from him, just a vision and an ability to see the ball on through that was very Eddie Segura-esque when he was in his heyday for LAFC. And the thought of an eventual collaboration between the two of them just is going to give other teams fits with their ability to pass out of the back. I loved it. We got a quick goal from LAFC. Chicho Arango finds his sixth goal in seven games. He is on fire right now. There was a beautiful little dummy that played the ball through to him from Sifu. I thought his first touch might have played him off it at first, but he was able to collect and just put a dribbler into the back post. Might not have been the prettiest goal, but they all count just the same. LAFC found themselves to a lead up 1-0. And then we have... Ilya Sanchez, my man, you do so many wonderful things for this club, but uh, some of that split second decision making from him so far this year has been a bit suspect. And we saw once again where he gets beat on the corner and rather than just letting the man go by him and trying to find a way to recover or call out for some help, he reaches up, gets himself a handful of kit. And with today's video technology and video assisted refereeing, that is going to get called. A hundred times out of a hundred, he gets flagged for the pen. And of course, Mukhtar's going to sink it. I mean, we're talking about a golden boot contender. It was maybe not the best penalty take, but uh, it found the back of the net. Almost, almost went a little wide left. Although I think if it deflects off the pole back towards the middle, he's sinking the rebound in anyway, especially because Cropo dives wrong sided. So it would have taken a good six, eight inches the other direction for it not to go in. But Nonetheless, we're tied up going into the half and coming out of the half. It took seconds for Sifu to find himself yet another goal. He puts it in. LAFC go up 2-1. And we thought at that point it would be smooth sailing from there on out. But things got a little dicey. There was a lot of chances going back and forth both directions. Nashville actually ended up winning the expected goals in this game. But nonetheless, LAFC were able to see it out to a 2-1 victory. But of course... The moment that everyone across the globe and LAFC was waiting for. The long-anticipated arrival on the pitch for Gareth Bale. Came in, had himself a cheeky little first touch. Got a little back flick going on in there. Did not, however, get himself much in the way of a shot or an opportunity on goal. But I think we already saw the ability, the pace, the vision, the clarity in which he works around. And frankly, had Eddie Segura, who came in at right back, which was an interesting thing, not stepped in front of him, we might have had a chance to see his first goal. But uh, Segura, obviously not used to playing right back, looked like he kind of swooped in on one of Bale's opportunities there. But it was a great game. It's great to see Segura back out there. I'm not so convinced he's the right back of the future, but serviceable in emergency situations. That was good to see. Gareth Bale, man, just just watching him don that black and gold and take the pitch and go out there and do Gareth Bell things and one-up Walker Zimmerman in the man bun competition was just a glorious sight to behold. But Senor Aparicio, what were your thoughts on the match? Yeah, no, uh, brilliant description of the highlights of the game uh, and the one low light for us. 
I, I you know, commenting back to the first goal for Chicho, that was a goal of grit and hunger and the kind of wanting to make sure that he is considered one of the starting 11 every time the team sheet goes up if he's healthy because the touch wasn't necessarily good, but he got there first. He shot in a way to to put his hips around that. I feel like that's what also didn't allow the keeper really set in the way he wanted to because he, he kind of got there this combobulated and then got his hips around enough to go side netting the other way, but it was kind of chopped. And I think it took everyone by surprise, but you know, this goal scorer is going to score and it doesn't matter how it happens. The thing is that he got to the ball first, first touch, bad touch, but he still got to the second one to put the ball on frame at the very minimum is what I expect, especially in the box from number nine. And then going to what you said about Ilya, I think Ilya slipped. That makes it more dramatic and he should have just not done anything, but him pulling made it where there's his body falling a handful of shirt and another body body falling. I think it's hard to not have VAR take a second look because if you look at multiple instances in that play, though, there's three or four different defenders with a handful of shirt. It doesn't look like you're impeding that clear path uh, to a possible goal scoring opportunity. So that on him, I agree with you. There are moments where maybe his age and his wisdom aren't aligned for, I'd say, 90 or so percent of the time, uh, it is what we need. But there has been a couple of mistakes that have been costly and caused a goal. And the penalty was basically as perfect as you could make it. But it is, the margin of error was so low. If he hits it just slightly more to the left, it is going to rebound back. And I agree with you that he's in form, but who knows if he kicks it in or not, or if one of the other players uh, jumps into the box and he kind of disrupts him in doing that. And then the last goal, I thought, you know, one of the things I noticed on this game, and uh, I feel like Hollingshead and any other team, he's a starter, but he's always in dangerous positions. He had a lot of contributions and he almost scored, right? Unlucky for him, but, you know, see for right place, right time. He just kind of understands where the ball might be when it's around the box and he was able to score again. So good for him. Scores in number 11 and the next game in number 20. So I'm very happy for his progression. Very happy for his progression. And then, of course, you know, the the box office name in terms of offense, Gareth Bale being able to, to show us a couple flashes. I don't think he had enough time to ramp up, but we also want to make sure he he gets match fit readiness over time. So I think after 15 minutes or so, he would have, um, if he had maybe a half, he would have, uh, the last 20, 30 minutes, he would have been able to contribute and be able to understand movements in, in the game time situation of Vela and the other strikers. And I think he was just getting there. Nonetheless, we got a win. It was hot as heck. I know that maybe you'll touch on this in terms of the post-game conference, but both Chiellini and, and Gareth is the first thing they talked about before being asked questions is just the heat. Internationally, it isn't talked about as much, but I think um, with this new set of international players coming mid-season, um, I think it's going to happen much more because there is a, lot, a heat wave in the United States. There's a lot of Texas teams. Atlanta, I mean, that's under a roof, but Nashville as well. It's so hot. It's so hot and humid out there. Miami, Orlando, I think it's going to be more conversations like this that we're having uh, from an MLS perspective post-games. Well, um, funny you should bring up the weather. I was on BBC Wales radio the evening after the game, and as I'm waiting in their little room that they have you in prior to being asked into the show, you sort of call in, and then you can listen to the show going on in the background while you're speaking to a handler before they bring you on and and you can speak live. And as I was listening in on the show, they were talking about the record heat wave that has hit Wales. And 
There's been an unfortunate, you know, number of people that have passed away from the extreme heat. And on the day of the match in Nashville was one of the hottest days on record in the history of Wales. So I think, you know, the warmer temperatures are happening everywhere in the world right now. But, you know, something I talked about with the BBC and and something that was mentioned in these postgame conferences as well, too, is that this is exactly the kind of temperature these guys, especially Gareth Bale, wants to play in as he gets ramped up for a World Cup that's going to be played in similar temperatures as well, too, in Qatar. So I think it's perfect for Gareth to get a run out in this kind of heat. That's exactly what he needs to help get himself in form. And, you know, when Kalini came off, you could just see the sweat dripping down his face in the videos of him on the sidelines. And, you know, Italy's warm, but I don't think he was ready for this kind of humid and hot that we had in Nashville. There were a couple other things in the postgame presser that I wanted to touch on. And I know that you and I have disagreed in opinion about Chicho Orongo over the course of some of the last few shows. And, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of, look, if he's scoring goals, you got to leave him in there. And I know that you have seen some parts of his game that you've called critique to. And I wanted to tip my cap to you because Tarundalo himself called out some of those moments in critique as well, too. And paraphrasing his postgame comments, he insinuated that, you know, Chicho had some defensive liability early on in the season or was not making the defensive actions the team really wanted from him and that that had improved over the course of the last month. But in this game in particular, he saw a number of defensive lapses from Chicho that he felt he still needs to work on. And I thought, you know, in spite of the fact that he's on a goal scoring streak right now, one of the best in MLS over the course of the past month in scoring, you know, the coach still wanted to bring him back down to earth and say, look, it's great that he's scoring. That's what he gets paid to do. But he has other obligations defensively that he's not holding up. And I just wanted to applaud you for seeing the things that I was not seeing as the ball was finding the back of the net. Yeah, no, I think Trundolo has kind of a complete game and everyone attacks, everyone defends, wants to be some compactness, some, some pressing up top to make it easier so that we're not emergency defending. And it all starts with first and the closest forward to their defense so but I, I fairness to him i don't think he brought it up he was asked a question about uh, how chicha could improve i don't think he was necessarily calling him out and maybe he was a little too honest to the kind of fan that is just um hey it's like why are you saying this about chicha he's like six goals in the last seven games i'm like uh, i don't think he's saying anything he's not telling chicho or showing him in a film so i don't think it's going to cause any rift in the dressing room and if he's improving over time, that means there's progress. And then his form is also getting better as his fitness is getting better and his goal scoring form is getting better. His touch, his hunger, the pressure of uh, some world-class teammates coming in are also, I think, lighting a fire under him where he's like, I want to be the number one choice uh, next to uh, Vela and Bale when he's uh, match ready. So all good things. Yes. I, and it's hard. It's hard because... There's a traditional like old school 4-4-2 or 4-3-3-3 where the striker is kind of his job is to kind of hang out there, conserve his energy so he can score. I think the modern game is more of everyone defends, everyone attacks. And I think that's the expectation from Chirundolo. And he is he is kind of pressing some buttons now in public, but probably what he's been doing in the dressing room to and pointing out to everybody. Because I see the same kind of hunger to get back from Opoku from Muzovsky when they're in there. And I think that's a way for them to know that if I want to be considered for some minutes, I got to do both things. I got to be effective in front of goal, but I also have to help the, the midfield. There was another little interesting tidbit that Max pointed out on the broadcast. And Tony Husband, the play-by-play guy for Nashville SC, actually called Gareth Bale's professional debut something 16, 17 years ago over in Europe. 
and yet got the opportunity once again to call his MLS debut, fast forwarding two decades, which I thought was a really, really cool fun fact. Uh, and shouts to Tony Husband, a great, great play-by-play caller. But uh, the fact that he got to be a part of that moment twice in Gareth Bale's career uh, was a pretty cool moment. Um, it was great to see Ismail Tajuri Shradi get back out there for limited minutes. It's been a few games now that he's been off of the injury sheet, but still has not found himself back into games. So great to see him come in. I thought Blessing came in and gave some solid minutes at the end of the game as well, too. Got a little dicey at, at moments where I thought LAFC were going to concede. But again, on the road in Nashville, and you don't give up a single goal and run of play, just the one penalty on the one mistake there from Ilya. Solid game from the boys. Really great performance with all, so many So many eyes from an international perspective. LAFC put out a tweet before the game that was like, you know, tell us where you're watching from. And if you scrolled through the comments, I mean, there were hundreds of countries and places being mentioned there. Uh, The global brand of LAFC is really kicking off. And and then it was fantastic to see Uh, as a whole. I mean, look, three points on the road back on top in the supporter shield with a game in hand versus Austin. How are them breakfast tacos now? And uh, it's flying high. I mean, really, it's it's quite a time to be alive, as our, our friend Philly from Defenders says, uh, pinch me moments, you know, as Max was saying on the outro, you know, it's the piano solo in Music City just feels like everybody's attempting to find superlatives right now to describe this high that LAFC is on. But let's go ahead and wrap it up with your final thoughts on the match, my friend. It's a different feeling to compared to 2019. This team just feels more effective and efficient. If the team like Nashville gives you very few chances and we're able to take them, I mean, that's kind of their bread and butter. I feel way more confident in teams that bunker down the way they do and kind of pulling things out. It's starting to feel like a more mature, a sounder-esque type performances um, where we know that we can take control and are being able to finish games where in years past, last 10 minutes, we kind of concede and it's a tie or a win becomes a tie and a tie becomes a loss. And I don't, I don't feel, I don't have that feeling as much anymore. And um, if we continue to progress that, we figure out our offense with the new signings and Tajiri Shrouda coming in. And that's like an afterthought and the talent that he has to give us contributions uh, as we approach the playoffs. And the last thing I'll say, last, last thought is, what's the average in terms of making the playoffs year over year? It's about between 44 and 46 points. We're just on the brink of that. We're barely past the midpoint. So good times for sure this year and the expectations becoming higher, but I feel confident that the team will come to task. Yeah. I think in years where we haven't seen that much parody in the conference, you know, 44 to 46 points is usually the playoff line. However, you know, the West has been keeping up with each other a lot in the past few years. If you go back to last season, I believe it was up to 48, 49 points. It took to cross the playoff line if memory serves correct. And so, again, we're just a few wins away from crossing that line with 15, 16 games left in the season at this point. It's looking pretty good. I I have no doubts that LAFC are going to make the playoffs at this point. Um, It's really just a matter of what seeding we find ourselves. And I love this back and forth with Austin FC. I think in those years where you, you go out to such a huge lead in supporter shield, it's hard to find that drive. It's hard to find a motivator week in and week out. And when Austin is constantly leapfrogging back and forth with us, I really think that puts a fire under the team to try and get back on top. And I love that they're applying that pressure to us. And I hope it stays consistent. I hope we don't run away with it because there's a sense of complacency that can settle in in a team if something like that were to happen. So fun to see that, you know, we're, we're back on top, of course. But I like that Austin's applying that pressure. I think it's helped keeping us fresh. All of these 
great incoming signings that we've had. We did have yet another departure, our second of the summer, that happened over the course of the past week that was officially confirmed today at time of recording, although Nacional kind of let the cat out of the bag a little early on this one. But for all the Poncho haters, and I really wish Chris was here to talk about this one with us, but uh, pull back the curtain, folks. It's his wife's birthday today, so we can't really have him podcast when he's got uh, husbandly duties to perform tonight. So uh, Chris is out with the missus at the moment, but Poncho Ginella on loan to Nacional. It is a one-year loan, which frees up an international roster spot for LAFC. And for all the people thinking, you know, Poncho was on north of 600K in wages, so that's going to free up 600K in wages. Uh, We do want to kind of bring that back down to earth a little bit, because just a reminder to everyone that Poncho Ginella was part of the U22 initiative, which means that even though he was making north of a half a million dollars, only $200,000 of that salary was counted against LAFC's salary cap because he was part of that U22 initiative. So we're not getting north of half of a million taken off the books. We're really only getting that 200 k taken off the books. But you still have to factor in that he played a significant portion of this season. So I did some quick math on this, and I think he played 16 35ths of the season which by my math is roughly 45.7142851428571% of his annual salary of 200k which should free up about $91,428.57 of cap money. So still 90 grand that's that's enough to be able to go out and get a serviceable player. What that doesn't take into account and what we have no idea on is if any allocation money was used to buy that contract down, but we have exhausted my knowledge of MLS roster construction at that point, but um, I don't want people to think that we now have half a million dollars worth of cap space to go out and spend because by my math, not including allocation money, we freed up just a little over $91,000. Still, we got that DP slot open though. Uh, which, um, you know, will only count a few hundred grand against the salary cap, whereas the rest of it would all be off the books as far as salary cap goes. But uh, Capanomics with Jonathan, new segment. I do. That's that's as much as I know. You've tested the extent of my knowledge right there. I have one comment on that. I just I'm happy for the owners because getting a little bit off the books for themselves, because I think the investment was an ambitious one. And I think he had a lot of potential. He just hasn't been able to to execute in the way that we thought he would. So he's going to get reps. If it's a loan and he gets better and he comes and is able to contribute next year, great. If, if he ends up being comfortable in Uruguay and doesn't want to come back, and some of that overall salary from our owner's books comes off the books, uh, that's that's good too. I just want to commend the, the LAFC front office to finding a place that um, he wants to be at, that wants him. That he um, and then some salary comes off the books as well in terms of salary cap. So win-win for everybody because I think right now he's not necessarily getting the playing time he thought he he needs or wants or deserves. Yeah, I mean he was one of the highest-paid midfielders after Acosta, and frankly was significantly out of the starting eleven, you know, on the depth chart. And that's an untenable place to be in for LAFC and for the player. I wish him all the best. I hope he improves leaps and bounds and and comes back from this loan ready to go next year or improves himself to the point where LAFC can monetize the transfer and, and get some of that money back. But with a departure out of the midfield, there have certainly been a lot of social media talk about someone on tryout here with LAFC. 
And so we did want to point out that German national team player, yeah, fine, uh, is currently training with LAFC. And there was a lot of talk that the Bayern Munich player, who has been loaned out to a number of other clubs throughout the Bundesliga and Bundesliga Schwei, might potentially be coming to LAFC. He's been pictured training with the team multiple times. So the cat's out of the bag. He is signed with Bayern through 2023. He's valued at about three quarter of a million dollars. So roughly on the same money there as Pancho Ginella. However, a report came out today at the time of recording that Bayern are not so ready to let him go after he's trained with LAFC. Now, whether that's just posturing to attempt to drive a price up or whether LAFC are actually interested in the player. I did speak to uh, a source that uh, does not want their name released publicly, but did view some of the LAFC training and said it would be quite a win for the team if he does end up signing with us, that his performance on the training pitch has been something exceptional. So what are your thoughts on the potential of fine joining LAFC? And are you prepared for the epic level freakout I will have if our team signs a German national team player? No, I'm, I'm excited. Um, obviously, we've made room and uh, him getting invited to, to train with the team isn't an invitation to be taken lightly. I don't think a lot of players get that invitation without serious consideration. So they've seen something. He's showing something on the pitch. It could be posturing, like you said. I hope that um, stars align. We, we get him in and he can contribute um, beyond what Janela was doing now and, you know, bring some more true competition to that midfield. Because right now, uh, for sure, you could pencil in the three, Ilie, Costa and Sifu, and depending on the team, sometimes uh, blessing or the, the minute um, uh, uh, kind of load. But I think we need more than four. It's the same with the back line or the, the right and left mid. Um, we have ways to make up for it, but some depth is definitely needed. And some quality would be more than uh, welcome. Yeah, it definitely does not seem like we have enough bodies to fill out a complete roster, both in midfield and at outside back at the moment. And I would not be surprised if non-DP signings come in to fill some of those holes. Speaking of tryouts, there was another rumor floating around based on a photo that got leaked. For all of you El Tree fans out there, a player you may have heard of, Rafa Marquez, his son is allegedly training with LAFC as well, too. He was pictured on his social media wearing LAFC shorts and has been rumored to be training with the club. Obviously, his father, a former captain of El Tree, player who you know was at Barca for a number of years. But his son, not so much a well-known commodity, but uh, in terms of lineage, it's hard to have better parenting than, than you would get from Rafa Marquez. What are your thoughts on the potential of his son joining LAFC? Yeah, if he is able to show out and give the front office and the coaching staff something to think about, I I, did, I don't know what the position that he plays is, um, so that's the only thing that comes to mind. Uh, I think the midfield is the only place that really needs some depth, so it all depends on that. But yeah, I'm welcome to to anyone that wants to come and contribute and um, is able to fit within the salary cap to, to kind of ride out the season to, to the playoffs and the championship. There was another little bit of news that dropped this week that ended up sparking a little bit of controversy. So the Philadelphia Union's general manager, Tanner, was speaking to a German magazine in which he insinuated that the Bale and Killini contracts were not believable. And the fact that they had shown up on a TAM deal made him feel 
like something fishy was going on there. And I got to give a shout out to our guys at Voices of the Black and Gold. If you're not listening to that podcast, great show. They do some great work. They had Alexi Lawless on today's show, but they also had our general manager, Mr. John Thorrington, on in which he vehemently rejected those rumors in a soundbite and clip that got a lot of press. It was talked about on the broadcast. It was talked about on extra time. So voices of the black and gold getting shout outs all over the place. Well-deserved and on this show as well, too. And as a result, Major League Soccer have decided to fine him for his comments, saying that it was detrimental to the league and it was a false accusation of LAFC. So a little spicy there. We do know that Bale's contract, if he extends next season and the option is picked up, it would make him a designated player, at which point in time they could offset what he wasn't making this year with a more exorbitant salary next year, which is perfectly legal. It might not be what every other club wants to hear, but that is a perfectly legitimate way in order to structure a contract. However, if he takes that third DP role, that would force us to either keep Raito or sign another designated player as part of the U-22 initiative. Because if one of your designated players is a U-22 player, then you get all three U-22 slots. However, a la a revolution, if all three of your designated players are over the age of 25, then you only get one U22 slot. And knowing JT and knowing how LAFC likes to operate, I would be astonished if they would sacrifice the salary cap relief granted through the U22 system and losing two-thirds of those slots by not having a designated player under the age of 25. So I think that either means they're going to get another young designated player to fill that spot, or Raito is going to stay. But uh, enough roster machinations. I'm curious, what are your thoughts on Tanner's comment and JT's response? I think that he's trying to be respectful, right? I think there's frustration in the league, the team that was built this season, offseason and mid midseason. And um, we have an understanding and the, the resources and the execution to be able to do a lot of these things. Uh, this is so convoluted. So if you're not, if you're a listener and you're, you're like, what's going on with the contract talk and what, what it was, how do we know that? Well, part of it is because that's what LAFC is doing every day, day in, day out, John Thornton and Will Koontz. And um, they're above board. And this is, this doesn't feel like the Miami situation where it's been done. They have, they've had too many DPs and they get reprimanded. Same with the Galaxy, where they had to sell one of the Santos brothers. So I just feel really confident um, because they look confident. Uh, everything's kind of been above board. A lot of been a lot of discussion in terms of how this was done. I'm sure the league has blessed everything, and I think he put his foot in his mouth because of the frustrations that he felt the Philly GM. So I think he had to backtrack it and apologize. He got fined. I'm glad that a lot more of this is happening because this drama brings more interest, right? More fans. Not everyone is about the X's and O's. It's about the stories, the different rivalries, whether it's the front office or the cities or the players. So I think I think it's good for the game, even though he's absolutely wrong, that there is some off-the-field drama. And the other thing I would say about the U22, like not only does it provide salary cap relief, but this is the way to find diamonds in the rough. And the yeah, in the and how do we get Chiqui Palacios and Sifu? And now we're probably gonna make some money for the owners and that fact that they've been able to be contributors and starting lineup players 
And one of them is an all-star now. I think another thing people have already forgotten is that the sale of Atuesta and the sale of Rossi, part of the money that you make in that transfer fee becomes allocation money. So you get target allocation money as a percentage of whatever you sell a player on for. So when you sell a player for $10 million, you get like a million dollars worth of target allocation money that you can use in that money. So yes, they are restricted as TAM players to making $1.6 million as far as what hits the cap, but they can be paid more than $1.6 million if you use target allocation money to buy that back down. And just from the Atuesta sale alone, LAFC got over a million dollars worth of that allocation money. And I'm assuming the Rossi sale that finally went through, though we're not 100% sure on the figures in that sale, had to have generated allocation money that could be used for these two players as well, too. So it's not like they're just making 1.6. They could be making legally more than $1.6 million if they use that allocation money that goes away if you don't use it, right? So, I mean, it only benefits the club to have used that money. So I think there's a lot of people who just really are not paying attention to the rules. And I know the rules are super convoluted, but there's a lot of great resources out there. uh, And I encourage people to go check that before you start firing off tweets or even for other GMs that might be listening to our podcast before you go give uh, interviews to German magazines that turn around and get you fined. Just, just, just throwing that out there. Shout out to Will Kuntz and JT and then Philly, if you're listening, thanks for you, man. You you feel you feel aggrieved. I know that you guys are going youth first, but sometimes you got to invest. Yeah. Um. And and you know, like JT said on Voices of the Black and Gold, there is a portal in which every single general manager gets to look at the exact specifics of every contract given out to every player in the league. So he could go read his contract and and look at all the fine print on it before he goes running his mouth and getting slapped with a fine. But before we move on to the interview, the one last little bit of notes, congratulations to Carlos Vela, Ilie Sanchez, and Chiqui Palacios for getting named to the MLS All-Star Squad. I believe this is a second go-round for Ilie. Vela is going to be an All-Star every single year he's in this league. And Chiqui P getting his first ever call-up to an All-Star game. Could not be happier for Palacios. Are you excited to see them play in the All-Star game, or are you trepidatious given the injury concerns? No, I'm, I'm happy for them. It's, a, I'm sure, an honor is um, the way they feel. And then we're happy that we have three LAFC players voted in kind of in this first round. I hope Sifu gets a, gets a shout from the coaches or the, the writers as well, because I think he's having a fantastic season. Um, and he's been consistently healthy and been contributing quite a bit. Yeah, so- that dolo bump, you know, something about having a coach who was one of the greatest outside backs of his generation for our country and uh, the ability to have him work with Cheeky. And, and you see it out there on the pitch. I mean, dolo gets in it. I mean, he'll grab a ball and start kicking it around with these boys as well, too, which is part of the wealth of experience that he brings to this team that is already paying off dividends for us. All right, folks, we are going to take a quick break and we will be right back with Nick Cogliola. You know him for his beautiful trumpet sounds that anoint us every match pregame. And in fact, you're going to hear it right now. Hey, this is John Thorrington, and you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. Joining us as our guest this week is Nick Cogliola. He, amongst many things, is a copywriter, graphic designer, producer, photographer, videographer, editor, executive assistant to a TV producer, musician on both brass and electric bass. 
All right. You can follow him at Nick.cogs on Instagram or check out his website, nickcajola.com. That is N-I-C-K-C-O-G-G-I-O-L-A. He is probably most notably recognized by the black and gold community as the brass performer prior to the start of each match. Nick, thank you so much for coming on Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. Chris, Jonathan, thank you guys for having me. This is awesome to be here. Absolutely. It's a long time coming. Uh, you know, Nick, we've met a couple times uh, down uh, in, in Sweet 10, and we've talked about having you come on the show and talk about your involvement in the community and, you know, partaking in what I think is looked at as a very cool and unique part of our pregame show that, that we kind of put on and it's almost become part of like the tradition now at home matches. So it's a lot of fun. Really glad to have you on and hear about your story. So the first thing we typically ask guests on this show is when the beautiful game entered your life. And so we're kind of curious if you could roll back to us the first time you ever remember soccer entering your life and what your early memories of the game might be. All right. So I'll, I'll tell you about this. I can remember exactly when. So I grew up in upstate New York. I was actually, I played baseball and hockey growing up and a little bit of soccer, like for fun outside after school, but it was mostly baseball and hockey. But I was from a little town upstate called Liverpool uh, and I went to Liverpool High School. And so when I was like a really little kid, you know, Liverpool School District, all of that, I had FIFA. I didn't understand, you know, that there were all these leagues in all these different countries. But when I was like five or six years old, I had FIFA for Game Boy Advance and I saw Liverpool in there. I'm like, oh, man, my high school's in there. This is awesome. So ever since I was a little kid, I liked Liverpool. And then, you know, I realized that it was Liverpool overseas and all that. But I still ended up rooting for them. And so, you know, I watched them a lot throughout the years. And then once I moved to L.A., then that was right in 2017 when LAFC was coming around. And then, you know, that was a whole different story. I actually lived uh, for a year in Utica, uh, which is which is not far <laughs> from you there. That's uh, just down the road. I mean, what is that like? Like maybe an hour's drive away from there. I think I might have even gone to a Boy Scout camp that's right there on Onondaga Lake there, which is which is kind of right in your neck of the woods there as well, too. So that's, small exa- world. that's exactly in my neck of the woods. That's that's right where I'm from. So I'm going to go ahead and assume that you're uh, like Chris, a big Liverpool fan then. Any favorite memories of watching Liverpool while you were growing up that you and Chris can uh, bore me, I mean, discuss with us? You know, I, I'm not going to say when I'm growing up, but but Chris, I'm going to tell you this. Right before the pandemic hit, it was the year we won the championship, right? Uh, the year we won the Premier League. And I was like, this is the greatest team I've ever seen in the history of my life, just in the terms of skill. I have yeah. to go see them. I flew across. I flew to London. I had to lie to get into West Ham Stadium because I was a Liverpool fan, but I was sitting with the West Ham fans. I had to lie. They made me show them my my Facebook, my Instagram, all the pictures on my phone to make sure I wasn't a Liverpool fan. I lied. I got in. I sat there. I watched Mo Salah score a goal. And then I came back right as the country shut down. I got back right in time. That's an incredible story. So like, I I mean, do you, did you, so normally on your social media, do you not have anything that's posted about Liverpool or anything like that? No, I'm pretty, I'm a pretty sparse poster on social media, but I had a hunch that this was going to happen. So I made sure I hit everything before I got into the stadium. And the guy literally, I kid you not, the ticket dude, I'm I'm sitting there and the guy's like, no, 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 really. Like, I'm not joking. I'm like trying to play like the dumb American card. I'm like, oh man, like I'm just here checking it out. And he's like, no, like I need to see all of this. I don't want you to get beat up. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I lied to him. I got through, thankfully all the pictures on my phone didn't load or else he would have eventually seen some Liverpool something. And I got in, I had a great time. It was awesome. 
That's amazing. Yeah, I still have yet to make a trip over to the UK. Checking out a match at Anfield is definitely on the bucket list of things that I want to do. But yeah, that season, that season was an amazing season. It's and it's unfortunate that, you know, there have been so many seasons up recently, too, where Liverpool just has come up short in second place. And it's it's been heartbreak. But we're here for LAFC. We got to talk back about the black and gold. And so, you know, let's talk a little bit about your career. As Jonathan had mentioned on the introduction, you have a lot of work that you've been involved in covering a lot of different avenues and careers. So talk to us a little bit about this. Go down a little bit of some of the things of your titles and accomplishments. And, you know, you are really a true Renaissance man. Give us an overview of what got you into so many different fields. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So ever since I was, you know, a little kid, I've always liked doing a lot of different creative things. So, you know, when I minored in music, my parents are music teachers. Shout out to my mom and dad for teaching me how to play the trumpet and how to play music. Um, they're both professional musicians back home. But I majored in television, radio, and film. I minored in in music and trumpet. And I moved out to LA after I, you know, was done with school in Syracuse. And so when I got out here, I worked in TV for a little bit. And then I worked at a startup. I did copywriting, graphic design. I created brands from scratch. I got it sold nationwide. Man, what else? Uh, photo, video, graphic design. That's a lot of what I do with uh, with my job now with Habitat for Humanity of Greater Los Angeles. And then music. You know, I, I play as much as I can around town. I play trumpet. I play bass. You know, shows coming up every every month or so. Various artists trying to do some touring coming up soon, hopefully in August. That should be good. And I've always just liked to do a lot of different things creatively. It's just, it's what's fun to me. So uh, for our fans that would love to go catch you at a gig, drop some dates, drop some names. Who are the acts that you might be performing with? Where could the fans come see you? Or if that information is not available yet, what's the best avenue for them to find out when to go catch one of your gigs? And who knows, you might have a, a bunch of black and gold fans doing chants in the crowd next time you go up there to play some jazz trumpet. <laughs> that would be that would be awesome. Well, the best way to, to you know find out is through my Instagram, just following me at nick.cogs. But other than that, I do have a show coming up where I'm pulling double duty. I'm playing with two different groups on August 7th, Sunday, August 7th at the Silver Lake Lounge. I'm playing with my group, Forest Line, and I play bass for them. And then I'm playing with another amazing artist. Her name is Rainy Yasmin, and I play trumpet for her back to back. So that's going to be a fun night. Sweet. I heard we're already on the guest list. So thank you so much for extending that invite. We'd love to come out and check it out. Absolutely. You'll be in the sweet 10 of the Silver Lake Lounge, whatever whatever that is. You'll be there. Perfect. Perfect. We'll have to get some of those impossible burgers with the pickles too, or else it's not the real deal experience. Oh, delicious. The impossible burgers at Bank of California Stadium. That's the real reason why I play the gigs is for the impossible burger after. <laughs> we, we don't need you to rubbing your s10 shoulders around here all right just 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 flaunting all of us plebes out here <laughs> within the black and gold world but so with regards to your music career I'm, I'm just curious you know do you have some favorite gigs some acts you played with in the past that uh you know you'd like to highlight for our fans or um you know just give us kind of a brief overview of some of the acts that you've played with before and some of the work that you've done sure so so coming out here it's been a bit of a journey for me to like get to this point where this was something that you know, I was, I was pursuing so hard. I moved out here and I, like I said, I was working in TV for a little bit and I had some friends from, you know, from school back home who were starting to support this rapper. His name was, uh, he's now Philly based. His name was Malik loves y'all. He's a, he's a great rapper, real good throwback vibes. 
and he had this like 90s thing going and so i started playing trumpet for him and i was like this is awesome like it, there are so many places to play out here there's so many people going to shows there's so many different kinds of music that people are actively playing like this is it yeah it, i didn't i didn't think it was real until i moved here and i saw it I was like, wow. And so after that, I ended up picking up bass. I was mostly self-taught. I picked that up in 2019. Um, I played a little bit of guitar, a little bit of synth, a, a little bit of a couple different things. Um, but that one I also really fell in love with. And so I play that one as well in an indie rock group called Forest Line. And we just released an EP during the pandemic, a little six-track EP. And those were the two main things that really made me want to pursue this in L.A., aside from you know playing growing up so much um, but coming out here seeing it was real and then starting to be a part of it that was amazing and then I sub with a lot of different musicians as well if anyone needs a trumpet or bass player hit me up <laughs> but that's another part that I really enjoy is just getting to play with so many different people making so many different kinds of music incredible for the you know the ability to learn and be almost be self I mean obviously you grew up in a family of music so you guys are all talented in that regard but the ability to pick up an instrument during the pandemic and just kind of self-taught and, and spend that time you know we also know that during the pandemic you spent a year volunteering uh for the americorps vista at habitat for humanity in the greater la talk to us a little bit about that that role that you played there and and what was why it was during the pandemic that you chose to volunteer at that time absolutely so that's some, that's some work that means a lot to me so right before the pandemic had started I had left my my job at the startup I was working at, and I was looking for kind of a new career path. You know, while I was playing music, I wanted to find something else to do that used the skills that I had, the creative skills for the greater good of Los Angeles. You know, I, I'd been out here since 2017. The first place that I'd moved out here in 2017 was Expo Park, and that's a part of why LAFC means so much to me. I love the Expo Park neighborhood. It's where I basically grew up as like a human, like as an adult, that was my first taste of like being an adult was living in Expo Park after college. And I just thought it was such a beautiful place. It was full of, you know, so many different cultures and so many different people, so many different foods and so many different, so much different music. It, it was everything. It was everything, you know, I wanted for moving to LA in a, in a neighborhood. And as I was there, they were building the stadium from the ground up and I, I lived like a block from the stadium. And so on my morning runs every day, I would go run past the stadium and I would feel like, man, I, I want to be a part of that. I don't know how, but I want to. And, and so, you know, and I went to some games. Those were actually the first soccer games I went to was the LFC games that, that initial inaugural season. And so that community like meant a lot to me for all of those reasons. And it just being a place where I was able to find myself when I moved here and then going down the line, I worked a little bit and then the pandemic hit. And I was trying to find something to do. I wanted to find a way to give back to this community. This this means a lot to me. This is where I've made my home. As you know, after after leaving my home, this is my new home. And I, ever since I've moved here, I've just felt a huge connection to LA. And you know, the issue of housing affordability and the housing affordability crisis, the the housing stock crisis, the homelessness crisis, all of this was something that I wanted to try to find a way to help with the skills that I knew how to do, you know? And so I decided to volunteer for a year as an AmeriCorps with Habitat for Humanity of Greater LA and their special events department. And they, they put my skills to use. After that year was up, I've been doing content for them as well, but they're a great organization and they do so much to help families, you know, get into homes and help build homes that are affordable, you know? It's not a handout, it's a hand up. That's what they say. And it just means a lot to be able to help, 
you know, document what's going on and show everybody the great work that, that this place does. So if any of our listeners are interested in helping out with an organization like that, is a place that they can go? Is there something here in Los Angeles that they need help with organizing or funding? Or is there any volunteer work that maybe some of our fans who are not financially able to assist, but would be glad to lend a helping hand? Is there a place that you might direct them to go if they wanted to lend a hand for you? I'm just kind of curious if, uh, there's anything the black and gold community to do to uh, continue to support those efforts. Absolutely. So, I mean, I can just, I can just speak to Habitat LA and I'm, I'm happy to do that. If you go to habitatla.org, you can click, there's links to either volunteer, to donate, to apply and, you know, anything from applying to be a homeowner to applying for home repairs. And you can see if you qualify on there. And also you can shop at the Habitat LA restores. There's three of those across town. And they're kind of like a combination of like thrift stores, and outlet stores um, and all of the proceeds from that goes to, uh, you know, goes back into the Habitat LA mission. Brilliant. Thank you. So uh, you kind of already teased our next question here a little bit about when the black and gold entered your life, living there in Expo Park and seeing the stadium built from the ground up. Do you remember that first moment you stepped in the bank? And can you take us through your fan experience of your first ever trip to a game? Absolutely. I went in, I had my Carlos Vela jersey that I had gotten beforehand. And my best friend from back home had actually come out to visit me. And I was like, dude, we should, we should go check this out. This looks awesome. I think it was, I think it was like three months in to the their inaugural season. And I got in and we stood in the the three, two, five, two. And uh, and I was like, man this is amazing. <laughs> this is so cool that, you know, everybody's chanting the whole game. You know, I've been to a lot of different games. So back in, back in college, I was a, a mascot for the university that I went to. I was out of the orange for Syracuse university. And so I used to do a lot of traveling around to a lot of different stadiums and man, nothing was like that with the 3252, just jumping up and down the entire game, chanting the entire game. And I'm standing there at the end and like, I didn't know any of the chants at that point. They were all brand new, but I was trying to pick them up as fast as I could. And so was my buddy. And it was just absolutely a blast. So you go to your first match, you know, which does the experience at LAFC kind of make you then want to go and travel to London and, and go and see like Liverpool take on West Ham? Or was it more so just, you know, something else in the moment and you, you know, it was, a, it was your childhood team and you became a fan, you know, it has, has becoming a supporter for LAFC opened your eyes to global football. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Hands down. That was the first professional, you know, soccer game that I'd ever been to. And I had no idea what to expect. And so I'm, I'm walking in and I'm like, this is insane. <laughs> this is incredible. This is so much fun. Stadium is beautiful. The team is good. Latif Blessing is the fastest guy I've ever seen alive. Like, this is so much fun to watch. And after that, I was like, I, I, I definitely got more into Liverpool because of that. Uh, I got more into LAFC, obviously, because of that. Uh, that was the winner right there. You know, I, if, if I hadn't already decided at that moment from living so close to the stadium, which I had, but that was definitely the, the nail in the coffin of me ever putting on any LA Galaxy gear. Like, no way, not going to happen. Uh, it, was just, it was just so much fun. And after that, definitely my love with soccer as a fan just, just exploded. So take us through how this burgeoning love with LAFC 
evolves to the point where you are now a part of the pregame ritual, standing there on the pitch and blowing the trumpet for everyone in the stadium. How does it grow from a person living by the stadium who attend a match and fell in love? And where did the connections happen along the way to make this happen? Yeah. So, so like I said, you know, I, I used to run past the stadium, like whenever I would do my weekly runs and I would just, I would, I felt something, you know, it sounds like I'm BSing you, but I swear I'm not, I, I felt something inside, like, man, I, I want to be a part of that. I don't know how, I, I don't know how, but I want to be a part of that. And so, you know, as the years went on, then COVID, happened and we couldn't you know we couldn't go to games and during covid while i was volunteering you know with with habitat la as an americorps i also was doing some some schooling at musicians institute over here in hollywood and i was studying bass and 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 music and practicing trumpet there as well while the pandemic was going on and right as i finished up one of the artists and career services people reached out to me and they said hey we remember that you played trumpet we know you've come through here you sounded good we just got this this listing for this audition, they want someone to play trumpet for one of the soccer teams around here. I'm like, what? Like, no way. (laughs) And I look at the audition, it says LAFC trumpet. I'm like, no way, no way. And I read it. It was, you know, you had to play the riff that we played at the beginning of the song from the DJ flick song, Uh, shout out to DJ flick. And I went immediately to my practice space. I learned the riff. I recorded it. I submitted it right away. And then from there, you know, it was the whole audition process got through, got down to me. And one day Flicked called me and then Rich called me up right after that. They told me, you know, it was my gig and I could not contain myself. I was, I was so hyped. I went out, I got some of those LAFC Adidas shoes. I was just so ready for the first game at the bank. And man, I kid you not, it means so much to me to play that before every game. It means so much to me. I've probably played that riff. We've been doing this since May. I guarantee you I've played that riff in my practice studio at least 500 times. I want to get it perfect every single time. And it means so much to me to be able to deliver that as perfectly as I can to hype up the entire crowd, to hype up the 3252, to to do that justice, to do it justice for all of them, because the whole thing, the whole situation means so much to me. And that was kind of how I found that gig. That was how I I landed it. That was how, you know, I got that role. And that's, that's where it's at. Now I go every time I'm trying to play before every game. And it's the absolute highlight of my entire week. Every time I get to do it. That's amazing. You know, it's, it, that's, that's definitely, I think that there's a lot of people in this community that would love to have an opportunity to be spotlight, even for, you know, the 10, 15, 20 seconds that that riff is, you know, but the opportunity for everyone to know that that is just you, right? Like that's such an, a, an amazing opportunity. And I'm, it's, it's awesome that you're such a passionate fan behind it, right? Like, it's not like you're just a hired hand. You're someone that actually genuinely loves, loves what you're doing. Oh, no, like, absolutely. You know, it's, it's sound, it might sound cheesy me saying this, right? But I'm going to say it anyways. You know, like you can see, you know, with some of the work that I do and, and how I feel about this, you know, do it for LA. That, that means something to me. That means a lot to me. It's not just a song to me, not at all. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, because you were right. Like, so you submit the tape, the recording, you know, you go through, I'm, I'm wondering if at some point in this interview hiring process, you know, if, 
you had presented yourself and be like, look, yo, I'm a genuine fan of this club. Like it would mean so much if that was one of those things where they're like, yo, we have found in our search for someone to play this instrument before the match, we have actually found someone who is a genuine fan, someone who is ride or die black and gold. Absolutely. So they, they wanted that. That was an important part of this. And so I had emailed them a little bit, you know, when I, when I sent in the initial tape and I was like, Hey, like, I'm actually a really big fan. Like, would love to do this. I'm not just saying that, like, I, I would love to do this. You have no idea. And during the process, like after I got the tape uh, sent in, you know, Flick's called me up and he made me like explain myself. I had to, I had to tell Flick, you know, what the deal was uh, with, with me as a fan. And I told him everything that I just told you guys. And then, and then Rich called me up as well. And I, I told him the exact same thing. And so that it was very important to them when they were looking for somebody that they found someone who was an actual fan. And so when I heard that, that just made it even better. It's like, man, they, they really care. They really care about building this culture from the ground up with, with people who really get it, people who really care about it. So I'm curious, you know, I mean, you get to partake in this beautiful moment before every game. And then, you know, you're sitting there with the S10s and you're rubbing elbows with Shavo. Do you ever like, you know, chop it up with base licks with Shavo or, you know, you got be real there. I mean, when is the the next collaboration going to happen? And have these guys already signed you to be on the next album? <laughs> oh, man. No, you know, if if they ever did, that would be I'd be over the moon for that. That'd be incredible. But honestly, you know, I during the game, I like to hang out there for a little bit. And, you know, I'll say hello to whoever, whoever's there, whoever's coming through. And, you know, I'll talk to him. My favorite part so far, Adam Conover was probably the, the best conversation I've had down there so far. That guy's awesome. But you get to meet a lot of cool people down there. And that's that's really nice. But my favorite part is going up. After that, I'll usually sneak off. And, you know, I'll say it's to go buy like some Reese's pieces or something, you know, one of the vending machines upstairs. But really, I like to go up and, you know, I'll, I'll stand and watch a game with the fans. You know, that's how it should be enjoyed. Right. And you, I like to, you know, talk to people I'm either sitting next to or talk to people that are, you know, standing there. I like to go stand off in the corner sometimes under the little Los Angeles sign. because you get such a good view of the stadium from the corner over there. You know, if anyone ever sees me, the, the do it for L.A. guy with the 22 do it for L.A. jersey on his back, come over and say hi. You know, I love to talk to people during the game. That's what that's what it's really about to me. You know, well, along those same lines, that brings us to our final question today. You've been very generous with your time, sir. And we do just have one final question for you. It's the name of the show. It's a phrase our team wears right on the neck of our jersey. And it manages to find a way to hit home differently for each person we bring on this show. So Nick, we're curious, what does shoulder to shoulder mean to you, sir? Let's see. So I think, I think it means, it means two different things to me. So one is a community, you know, community is so important. And especially in LA, it, it means standing shoulder to shoulder with everybody around you in, in this city, you know, however you can come together for fun, like with LAFC come together to make the, the city better. And, and help out your neighbor, like with Habitat for Humanity, which LAFC also volunteered with, by the way, I just want to throw that in there, how you can stand together with, you know, your, your neighbor to make something together, make something creative, make something that expresses who you are, or helps them express who they are. And then as a fan, man, standing shoulder to shoulder, what that means to me is that's what I see when I go out on the field to play the song. I always look over to the 3252. And that's just like the last little thing right before I play I'm like, man, I get to do this. I get to do this for them. Like I'm the luckiest dude. I'm the, I'm the luckiest dude. I swear. I get to do this for them. I get to stand, watch them stand literally shoulder to shoulder, you know, unable to sit down for the whole game, all the seats bolted up only place I've ever seen that. And, and then I look at that and I just get so amped up and then I, I play the thing, you know, 
Beautiful. That's a wonderful answer. We really appreciate it, folks. Once again, our guest today has been Nick Cajola. He is amongst many, many things. Uh, the legendary trumpeter you hear before every LAFC game. If you're looking to hit him up, maybe you're starting up a band and you're looking for that hired gun to come in and play that brass, play that bass, maybe and throw down some synth tracks for you. Hit up our boy at Nick.Cogs on Insta, C-O-G-S for Cogs there, or check out his website, NickCajola.com. That's N-I-C-K c-o-g-g-i-o-l-a nick thank you so much for coming on shoulder to shoulder podcast we really appreciate it chris jonathan thank you guys so much for having me and shout out to rich and flicked for having the idea to do this and for for bringing me into the lafc fam shout out to brooklyn who's the director of stadium production av and match day presentation and her crew and all the pas and all, all the incredible people at bank of california stadium uh, for lafc who helped me you know sound good and, and shout out to Johnny Wisdom, DJ Nick Fair, who also helped out with this. And, you know, my parents and everyone in my family for helping me be a musician. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm sure all of them are avid listeners of the show and are excited to hear that. We appreciate it, Nick. Thank you so much for this. Brilliant. Folks, we are going to be right back with today's opponent correspondent. will be Araceli Villanueva to recap our upcoming game versus Sporting Kansas City. <laughs> Hi, guys. My name is Jaime Camille, and you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. Joining us now is our opponent correspondent, friend of the pod fam, friend of the show. It is none other than Araceli Villanueva. You know her as the social media for MLS Next Pro and a regular contributor for our friends in the pod fam at Heart of LAFC. Please give her a follow on Twitter at RSLV1 or on Instagram at RSLV92. But a very warm shoulder to shoulder welcome to Araceli Villanueva. Uh, thank you guys for having me on the pod. I'm glad to be back and to preview this game for Saturday. How are you guys been? We've been great, and it's great to have you back. Uh, for those of you that don't know, RSLE was a previous guest on our pod. She told us her story about how she became a black and gold uh, lover of, of LAFC. So for anyone that's interested in hearing more about RSLE and her story, please go back and listen to that episode. But here we are having you come and helping us preview the match for Sporting Kansas City. Uh, you do currently live in Kansas City and you cover Kansas City. And so, uh, you know, we're looking for you to help us preview this match. It's going to be exciting. Yes. And please say hello to my friend Eric Bergrid out there in Kansas City. I just have visions of you guys going out to dinner all the time. And I sit here in Los Angeles, jealous that you get to hang out with my boy EB. But uh, shouts to you. And, uh, you know, hopefully your career path brings you back to Los Angeles someday in the future. But in the meantime, we appreciate you holding it down for the black and gold there in Kansas City. So let's go ahead and start recapping this sporting KC side. So currently sitting in 14th, that is uh, last place in the Western Conference. They have just five wins, 12 losses, five ties for a meager 20 points on the season. We last played you guys on 417. That was a 3-1 win at the bank for LAFC. In fact, a game in which LAFC scored all four goals in that match, opened up with a cheeky Palacios own goal in the 38th, but the LAFC stormed back from behind with three goals in the 44th, 70th, and 78th minute by Messieurs Chicho, Ismail, Tajori, Shradi, and Sifu for LAFC to come back and win that game. Since that moment, SKC have just three wins, six losses, and five ties. So, Araceli, our first question, my goodness, what the heck is going on in SKC? I honestly wish I could have an answer for you with that. It's been 
absolutely horrendous this season for Sporting KC and even their performances at home are becoming lackluster, which I hate to admit to. But unfortunately, it's we they have just been dealing with an injury ridden roster at the top of the season. They lost Alan Polito and Gadi Kinga to season ending injuries. And just along the way, just haven't really, really been finding their footing and been releasing players like Jose Maury. And ever since Ilya had departed, they've been having trouble filling, at least in my opinion, trying to fill in that defensive midfield position. And it's just been a roller coaster of emotions all around, you know, through the club and even the supporters. And even uh, currently right now, Tim Milia is out with a shoulder injury. So that kind of leaves the goalkeeper position a little in a, a fragile state. Well, look, losing two of your three DPs at the start of the season is a blow, but uh, if anyone can show you how well a team can perform with just one DP on the field, please, by all means, take the black and gold as a model of how to excel with just one designated player on the field. But losing a DP midfielder and forward at the beginning of the season was certainly a dose of bad luck for SKC. But in spite of the injury woes, Peter Vermees seems to be on the hot seat. What are your thoughts about his performance as head coach? It seems as though he has been synonymous with SKC culture for so long. The thought of him potentially departing, especially given the bad luck the team has had health-wise this season, seems a bit extreme. But is there a potential for a gaffership change at SKC? In the near future, I do not see any potential change when it comes to the front staff or the technical staff. Peter Vermees, I I would need to double-check this, but I believe he did just renew his contract last season and it it almost feels like we'll have him till the end of time (laughs) and I mean you said it yourself he's the sporting culture he created the I don't want to say he created the club but he definitely created that culture that sporting is synonymous with so to see him leave would be you know not only heartbreaking but it just it's even the thought of it it is kind of you know, hard to wrap your mind around, but considering all of the decisions that he's been making lately and the scouting, it is a little questionable considering he's not really fulfilling the pieces that we need. For example, I mentioned the defensive midfield. We've still failed to fill that and it feels almost like an experiment with it. You know, we mentioned how right now, Sporting Kansas City is sitting on 20 points and the seventh place team Galaxy are at 27. You know, when you look at that, that's not a huge gap to overcome. That's three wins in a relatively short period of time. And I think that a team like Sporting Kansas City has known how to find wins at the end of the season. What are some of the things that you feel would need to happen for Kansas City to right the ship and make that playoff run? Healthy players. I mean, honestly, it really does come down to trying to get more healthy players out there. The club has been without Graham Zuzzi, Tim Melia, and without that type of leadership on the field to compliment Roger Espinosa and even Daniel Shalloway at times. It, it's a little questionable at some points, but I think that as long as we can get some players back on the field, and especially with these new players who just arrived today, the quicker they can get ingrained with the roster, there's potential. It seems like a a tall order, but there is potential to turn it around. So why don't you go ahead and take our our casual LAFC 
fan that might not be too aware of the Sporting KC roster. Why don't you go ahead and run through some of the star players you expect to perform well if SKC are to come out and punch LAFC in this match? And who are some of the role players that might augment those star players that we could see on the pitch this weekend? When it comes to star players, I would definitely need to point out Johnny Russell. There is no doubt that once he gets the ball, he is extremely dangerous with it. He can find those tight spaces and create opportunities that, you know, we haven't really seen before in a long time. And especially if Daniel Shalloui is out on the field, the connection between Johnny and Daniel when they run deep is absolutely outstanding. It's almost in comparison to Chicho and uh, uh, Cheeky or even Seafood that just that kind of run and play, especially Johnny loves to be in the wings. Come to the midfield, there's ten. I always have a little problem pronouncing his name. So excuse me if I'm mispronouncing it. But Mariano's Tissonis is an incredible center back. Again, he can find those tight spaces, get those long passes in. And uh, Felipe Hernandez and Cameron Duke have had great performances. And although I kind of alluded to it that the goalkeeper position currently is a little fragile state, I do need to retract that a bit because we do have John Pulskamp, who is actually a native from Bakersfield. We've had him for two seasons now, and he's definitely grown with his time with sporting. Currently, he started the last two matches while Tim has been out. We saw a strong performance this past uh, game when they were at Salt Lake, even though Sporting fell 3-0, to zero, John managed to record six saves in the first half. So he does have strong performances. So when it comes to Saturday's matchup, just kind of with those key pieces of Johnny, Daniel, Pulse Camp, it's going to be a little challenging for LASC defensive-wise. So we know another big factor in this weekend's match is going to be weather. It is expected to be incredibly hot and humid. In fact, just about two hours before we recorded this segment, it was announced that the game is going to be moved back to 7.30 p.m. kickoff time here uh, on the West Coast. Um, So attempting to do anything they can to mitigate that weather. But even at night, it is expected to be extremely hot. Who do you think that gives the advantage to? And how is that going to affect the match? Oh, I think it's going to affect the match heavily. Because even before we started recording, I did joke with you and even on Twitter that I was literally waiting till the sun went down to go back outside. It's just been extremely hot over here. We've had 49% humidity. And after today, it's only going to get hotter. I looked at the weather a moment ago, and it's registering a high of 103 potentially 105 for Saturday, mixed in with that almost 50% humidity, it's just going to be absolutely muggy and miserable. In my opinion, I think the match needs to be moved back even further, even if it's 10 o'clock at night, (laughs) because no one is going to enjoy it. But when it comes to advantages, I think sporting will have the advantage because they are used to playing in this environment. Although the heat is not normal for anyone, I think sporting does have the upper hand considering they're consistently training in this weather and some of the players are already acclimated to it. So with that match being pushed back to uh, to 7.30 Pacific time Saturday night, 
what is your expectation for the match this weekend? And what is your expectation for Sporting Kansas City moving forward at the end of the season? My expectation for the match is to be uh, very close. Even though LAFC came out on top 3-1 to one back in April, now with the additions of Kalini and Bale, it's definitely going to test Sporting's abilities. But considering that they will have home field advantage and hopefully a, a sold-out crowd to back them up because the last I checked, it is a sold-out game. I think, like I said, it is going to be a close match. There's potential that it could be a shutout for one side, but really, we're just going to have to wait till Saturday to find out. Well, brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us, RSLE. We really appreciate you stepping in and covering Sporting KC for us. Once again, folks, our opponent correspondent for this episode has been RSLE Villanueva. She does social media for MLS Next Pro and is, of course, a regular contributor to our friends at Heart of LAFC. Please give her a follow on Twitter at RSLV1 and on Instagram at RSLV92. RSLE, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Folks, we are going to be right back after this quick break with the final segment of today's show. Hi, everybody. It's Max Prados, and you are listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast, second to none bringing you the LAFC gospel. All right, Chris, we have been all geared up by our opponent correspondent, Araceli, for this upcoming match versus Sporting Kansas City. However, before that, we had some breaking news that dropped today. So real quick, we wanted to highlight that LAFC have a brand new player. The Los Angeles Football Club have acquired midfielder Sebastian Mendez from Orlando City in exchange for $300,000 in general allocation money, and should he meet certain performance clauses, that would include an additional $225,000 next year and an additional $225,000 in 2024. He has been a stalwart defensive mid for Orlando City that in their current system has found him as the fourth man for three spots. So it made sense for Orlando City to move on from him. His valuation was in the millions of dollars, and yet LAFC seemed to have swooped in for just 300000 Now, potentially, that could add another four hundred and fifty in GAM in the next two seasons, bringing him into somewhere around three-quarters of a million dollars in allocation money. That is no small chump of change there, but uh, we are talking about a replacement for Poncho Janela. So before we dive into our predictions, we wanted to touch real quickly on this piece of news that dropped in in true LAFC fashion, when we are on top of things and get our first segment recorded early in a week in which we expect no news to drop. Well, of course, the day after we finish recording segment one, LAFC has to go and acquire a player. So we're just going to go ahead and throw that talk in right now. So Chris, amigo, what do you think of LAFC's new signing in Sebastian Mendez? I think it'll be interesting. Definitely. I think that we're going to see a player that is is going to hopefully facilitate a role within the midfield, allow for some rotation uh, and some rest. I think that Poncho Janela, unfortunately, had not worked out in the way that it was originally intended when he got brought into LAFC. And hopefully Mendez fills that role better. You know, Poncho had come in as, or this season, his role was to come in and give relief and I think that there were still times that he was not showcasing the ability that people were wanting to see, especially at the price point that he was costing us. I think that it is a fresh opportunity, both for Mendez and Janela, to see what 
could come in a year's time. So it's I'm excited. I'm excited to see what this player has to offer. It'll be really good, I think, for the chemistry also with Cifuentes and for Palacios because they're all from the Ecuadorian national team. Mendez has represented Ecuador, I think it was 32 times, and he is someone that has played in that midfield for that national team. And I think that there will be a, a bit of chemistry between particularly Cifuentes and Mendez, but uh, that remains to be seen. John Thorrington described him as a dynamic midfielder with extensive MLS and international experience. One of the things we've constantly been asking for as a fan base over the course of the past few seasons were MLS experienced veterans that could step in and fill those supporting roles for this team. And I think that's exactly what we've got here is a player who can step in and fill in vital minutes given Ilya Sanchez a break. They play roughly the same role in defensive mid. They have a lot of similar qualities in line-breaking passes. And I know that John Thorrington has said in multiple interviews that that is something he looks for in a defensive mid and how many players they can pass a ball through in order to advance the play and how many players get taken out of the play based on those passes is exactly what they look for in the offensive side of a defensive midfielder. And, you know, his defensive qualities speak to themselves, 13 appearances for Orlando city, a little over 412 minutes played this season. And if you look at the reactions from their fan base, they're furious at the price he was sold for. So I think all of that spells that, you know, what Janela was, struggling to do for LAFC in Dolo's system. You know, they found a player that seems to check the boxes for what they need. And obviously, you know, his performance for Ecuador is only going to help him integrate himself into a squad where he'll be playing with a lot of other players. And, and look, he's only 25 years old. He's still approaching the prime of his career. So I think, you know, we've still got a player that's yes, got a lot of MLS experience to him, but is not on the wrong side of 30 and is going to be able to provide solid minutes for us. So I'm really excited about that signing. And, you know, I think we'll probably hold back too much critique until we get a chance to see how he integrates into the system. But big news that LAFC are filling one of those holes. Uh, we know that there is still a DP potentially coming at some point in time this summer, plus likely an outside back as well, too, to provide some additional depth there as well. All right, Chris. So let's go ahead and dive into your thoughts versus seller dwelling sporting Kansas city. I know RSLE has certainly spoke to the fact that she thinks it is advantage SKC seeing as they're playing at home in the hot, humid confines of their stadium. So what do you think is going to play out in the course of the match this weekend? I think it's going to be an interesting one, particularly because of the weather. I think that given a, a, a normal or relatively normal atmosphere for a summer day that the, I would have picked LAFC no problem, especially given the the fact that Kansas City has their injuries and is playing as poorly as they are in recent form. However, because the weather is going to be extremely hot and extremely humid, I don't think that LAFC players are going to be conditioned. They're just not going to be as acclimated as a Kansas City player would be. And because of that, it's going to bring in a little bit more fatigue, a little bit more of that dehydration. So because of that, I think that it's going to be a little bit of a sloppier game. I think that LAFC is going to be a little bit more fatigued and tired at the end of a match, which we don't normally see. Um, and it's going to be an interesting test for players like Gareth Bale or Chiellini who are looking to still acclimate to the MLS and the travel and the heat. And now you're putting them in a situation where they're going to have 
uh, even more severe weather conditions. I think that there was a lot of people that were hopeful that they were going to see more of Gareth Bale in this upcoming match. And I think that uh, the weather is going to be a limiting factor in the number of minutes that these players see, which I mean, I think wasn't say I, which I think is okay because the fact is then that maybe then the LAFC faithful will be able to see him get more minutes at, at his home debut. Now, look, the temperature was well over a hundred degrees at the training center today. And, uh, this should be a day in which the team was getting out their training. You have to wonder if Gage Nutson, the gentleman who takes care of all of the pitches for LAFC, both at the training center and at the bank, worked a little magic and was able to flood the field a little early so they get some evaporative humidity coming off of that field so they can hopefully kind of emulate what they are going to be experiencing this weekend. But you'd have to think, I mean, as far as training to get ready for it, I mean, it's been hot as heck here in L.A. this week, so the boys should be ready for the heat or at least should have had an opportunity to train in it. And with the match being pushed back a little further into the evening, that should help a little bit with that extreme heat. Uh, I would still expect this to be the game that has hydration breaks in it. Um, but this is the perfect exposure for people like Gareth Bale that are attempting to get ready for Qatar and any of the other players on our team, all three of those Ecuadorian internationals, Acosta, you name it, all of the international players that are expecting to be headed to Qatar. This is exactly the type of scenario in which they will be placed in uh, for this winter World Cup that we're about to experience in hot Qatar. So I'm not so convinced that this is a left field as far as the weather and its extremity for this weekend's game. I think this is exactly what these players should be preparing for and should be ready for. Uh, I'm never going to come on this show and anticipate that LAFC drop points when we are number one in supporters shield standing and we are going up against the last placed 14th seed in the Western conference. This is absolutely a match we should win and win handily. I'm going to go ahead and predict a three nil victory to the black and gold. I think we go ahead and complete that three game, three goal shutout. Unlike what we saw at the bank earlier this year. I think we clean up the defensive laps that caused the own goal. And I think we go ahead and shut them out three zip. What's your prediction, my friend? I think that LAFC is going to come out and they're going to win, but I think it's going to be a little bit tighter than that. I think that a one nil victory or a two, one victory is going to be more of an, of a, a scoreline that we're going to see at the end of that match. Nope, we're putting Peter Vermees in a hot seat. That's it. They're, they're going to be wishing they hadn't given him that extension after we put a spanking on him this weekend. That's my prediction. Folks, uh, we would like to thank you so much for listening to episode 128 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. You can follow us at LAFCS2S on all your social media platforms. If you'd ever like to join us as a guest, please reach out to us. We'd love to have you on to tell your black and gold story. We'd like to really thank Nick Cajola for joining us as our guest. And of course, Araceli Villanueva for joining us as our opponent correspondent. On behalf of myself, Jonathan, my co-host, Chris Christian, and the legend, sound engineer, Wilton. Thank you guys so much. Take us home, sticks. They won't need to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that.